It's good to be back with you. Uh, last week, I was preaching at our sister church down in Apple Valley, uh, Russian Revival Baptist Church. So I uh, appreciated your prayers. Um, they appreciate you allowing me to go down there. And um, uh, so just continue to pray for them. And it was, uh, if you want more questions about who they are, and um, if you want to go down and visit, they'd love to have you go down and, and go and see them on a Sunday morning. It'll be an experience, uh, very similar to the service that we have here, uh, except in Russian. So uh, it'll be, yeah, you, you'd be lost for probably a third of the service, but uh, they do have... Um, English words up on the screen for the music and things like that. Uh, but continue to pray for them. They're like typical, almost maybe not typical, I shouldn't use that word, but very um, similar to a lot of uh, uh, issues that the immigrant churches are, are dealing with now. You got first and second generation. So you got the first generation Russians who want only in Russian and we want the preacher to preach for an hour, um, which I didn't, and I may have caused some problems for Alex down there. Uh, but then you have the second generation who loves the Russian language, but they want it in English. And so they're trying to figure out a good balance. And uh, as Alex said, it, it's a heart issue on both sides, on everybody's issue, heart. It's a, prefer, it's a preferential thing that's going on in their own hearts. And so pray for him and the leadership as they're trying to walk through this faithfully and not to say, well, this is stupid or that's stupid and we're going to do it our own way, but to go, how do, we, how do we come together as a first and second generation? And then third generation was there too, to help them to grow in Christ and to also stand firm on their culture um, and hold on to um, their culture. So pray for them. And uh, uh, again, if you have any questions about them, then come and talk to me afterwards. Uh, we're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and man, I, I, I mean, I love preaching at the Russian church. I missed being here, uh, especially with my family being here, and was, they weren't able to come down uh, with me, but as a church family, being able to get back into the Word and just sit underneath the Word and go, okay, what is God teaching us today? What is God teaching me personally? What is God teaching you? What is, what is He saying to us as a a church, and we're only nine verses in, <laughs> uh, and already he's, Paul is really trying to teach, even with his opening introduction, even with his opening thanksgiving, all of it is teaching, that he's trying to remind them and show them who they are, um, that he opens his letter with a reminder to this church that they were bought with a price. They are the church of God. They were once slaves to their sin, but now they're slaves to God. That God has, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to willingly die on the cross, the death that they rightly and justly deserved for their sinful rebellion against him. He willingly died for them, and so they are no longer their own. They belong to God. They are the church of God. God, And then he reminds them that by the work of Christ, that they were made holy. They were set apart from an unbelieving world. And if you remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that, that Corinth was a, a, a morally and spiritually corrupt city. Sexual immorality everywhere. Pagan temples on every corner, which might be an exaggeration, but there's lots of pagan temples throughout this city of 200,000 people. They're surrounded by a pagan, un, ungodly 
self-fulfilling culture. And Paul is reminding them, God, through Christ, has made you holy. He has made you set apart from that believing world. That when God saved them, that they were made ritually clean before God, meaning that their sins were no longer held against them because of what Christ did upon the cross. But though God's holiness in them was done and complete, they are set apart that it never stops working. That holiness never stops working. It affects every corner of their lives. What they say, what they think, what they do, whatever situation in which they find themselves, God's holiness is working on them. What does God desire from me in this place, in this situation? How is my life to reflect the glory and the greatness of my God? Because as his church, that is our call to live a life of holiness in an unbelieving world. Or the phrase, to be in the world but not of it. To look different from the world. And yet not to run away and become a little cloister where we all wear robes and we shave the tops of our heads as men, I should say. Right? We're not called to be separate from the world in the sense of never having interaction with them. Instead, living in the world and yet being holy in the world. And God's holiness and changing us, it's a lifelong effect that only ends when our time on this earth is finished. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. There is, there is no time in our lives where God is not working on us. We have never actually made it, if you want to say. I've made it. I don't need to worry about Bible study. I don't need to worry about using my gifts, which we're going to talk about in a second. I don't, I don't need to worry about even going to church anymore because I have spiritually made it. And God says, uh, yeah, no. Are you perfect? Well, no. Okay, well, you haven't made it yet because you're not going to be perfect until I come and I take you home. So if we look carefully, though, we will notice that God is the main focus of Paul's introduction. God calls Paul to be an apostle. God calls the church as his. God sanctifies and makes the church holy. God gives grace and peace to the church. And this focus only continues now in our passage this morning. That it's God who has shown them grace. It is God who enriches them. It is God who will sustain them. All of this pointing to the reality that God is faithful and trustworthy. Paul begins first, verse 4. He says, He gives thanks to God for them. Why? I give thanks to God for you. Why? Because of the grace of God that was given to them in Christ. Grace is unmerited favor. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is the unearned favor of God. It is the gift of God, not a result of works on my own, so that no one can boast before God. I've done the right thing, God. I am perfect. I have been obedient. And so you must call me your son. 
That's not how it works. God goes, no, you're my son. Now I'm going to change you so that you will become more holy. It's grace, unmerited favor. The salvation that the Corinthians have received through faith in Christ, it was all unearned by by them. Or to quote Jonathan Edwards, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. It is only by God's unearned favor that the Corinthians have been declared as his holy people. God has named them his. And Paul is thankful to God that they were shown such grace. Because the Corinthians, as we'll get to in the coming weeks, seem to have forgotten that. They have taken their wealth for granted, forgetting that such wealth was given to them by God. Now, I'm using the word wealth for a reason, because that's what the word enrich means. It means to make rich or wealthy. And usually we think about wealth being money or property. If I just have enough faith, then God's going to make me rich. He's going to He's going to make sure that I have the best house, that I have the nicest car. I'm going to have no problems financially, this and that. And then everybody who's in real life goes, really? Because I feel like I'm being pretty faithful to God. And this is broken. That is broken. I've had to fix the van. Now the washing machine is no longer working. And then the air conditioning stops working. And then your kids decide to break something. You know, this, like, we're, as my mom said, none of the, I want to say it, some of that happened in our life the last couple of weeks, but not all of it. My mom said, you're never going to get a head mark financially. And you know what? That's okay because God's going to take care of you. So we're not talking money. This is not about property. If I just, if Paul, Paul's not saying, if you just have enough faith, God's going to make you rich in coins, But instead, he's saying God has made them wealthy in a different way. Not in money, but in verse 5, he says, in all speech and all knowledge. And you're like, oh, no, I want money. No, all speech and all knowledge is way better than any money that you could ever get. Literally, this word, it means all word and all understanding. And this hits home for the Corinthians because later in his letter, Paul will have to rebuke them for becoming puffed up. Now, is this exactly what he means? Well, okay, he's trying to bring it into context of the letter. It seems like this is what he's talking about. They've become puffed up by their gift of knowledge. That's in chapter 8. And by their ability to speak in tongues. That's chapter 14. So he's saying, in essence, these are gifts from God. These are good things, all knowledge and all speech, all word or all message of God and all understanding of his truths. But they had taken a gift from God and they claimed it as their own. They became puffed up over their gifts, forgetting that it was only by the grace of God that they had any such gifts in any such abundance. He, God, had made them wealthy in all speech and all knowledge of his truths because in his mercy... God opened their eyes, of their, the eyes of their hearts and the eyes of their minds as to the wisdom 
of the gospel message. That is why he writes, even as the testimony or the witness about Christ was confirmed among you, God's enriching them with such gifts was a confirmation of the truths of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You want to know, is the gospel real? Look what he gave you. Look what he did for you. This is confirming God's salvation of you through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is not saying that unless one is wise in all the word of God and unless one speaks in tongues, that you are not saved. That is not what he's saying. That would be reading too much into his words because in chapter 12, he's going to start talking about the church as a body and it's made up of many members, which each of them with a spiritual gift meant to edify the whole church. Not every member of the body has every single gift. And as with the physical body, the foot and the hand are different. They have different roles and they are both very vital to the church or to the body, to be healthy. And so it is with the church. Each individual within a church has a gift from the Spirit of God in order to help the church be healthy. But not every member of the church, not every individual has the same gifting. Could you imagine? Everybody has the gift of preaching. I'd beat you all, right? Like we'd fight, right? We'd go, no, I'm going to preach. No, I'm going to preach. No, I'm going to preach. Or everybody has the gift of administrative. Well, you know, the bulletin should be done this way. It would be a very unhealthy church. And so Paul is reminding them, it is by the grace of God that you had these gifts. Or if you think your gift is better than everybody else, he's saying, well, you know, you speak in tongues, so... You, I, I speak in tongues. I'm more holy than you. And Paul's like, ah, no, this isn't about you. The only reason you have that gift is by the grace of God. And Paul is reminding them that without that grace, they would know nothing of the word and knowledge of God. They would be spiritually lost. And so Paul thanks God for them because of the grace of God, which has enriched them so greatly. Do you see what God has done in your life? Praise God that he has saved you and shown you his grace. And so it is only by the grace of God that the church has been enriched with gifts given to them by God. But these gifts are given to them for a reason. He says to sustain them in their faith. Now, if we look at verse 7, we see the words, so that, and if you are a part of our Monday night crew, this is what we would call a connecting, well, maybe I should say that. This is what I call a connect, connecting words or a connecting phrase. It's in something that's important within a verse that connects two thoughts or phrases that can help us to better understand that meaning. And so God has graciously enriched the Corinthian church in all speech and all knowledge. Why? so that they would not be lacking in any spiritual gift as they waited for Christ to return. Now again, Paul's going to touch on this on chapter 12, but his point is that their gifts, their spiritual gifts, were not meant to be used as weapons against one another to puff up their own um, 
them to puff up themselves, arrogantly looking down on others who didn't have that gift or that uh, or, or this gift. God graciously gave them spiritual gifts so that they would be sustained through the long wait until the second coming of Christ. God's gifts to them were given so that the church would be strengthened and made more holy so that they would be held guiltless guiltless on the day of Christ's return. To be guiltless means to be blameless. And this doesn't mean innocent, as if the Corinthians have done nothing wrong and that they have lived the perfect life. It means that their sins will not be held against them. The gifts given to them, the spiritual gifts given to them graciously by God, those gifts are meant to sustain the church, preserving their faith until the end. Which brings us then to Paul's final point, which, when Paul is straightforward, you need to soak it in. Because Paul's teachings are very hard. Just pick up the book of Romans. You gotta wrestle with it. He uses... It's, it's, really, it's really in-depth. But here he's very, very straightforward. God is faithful. <laughs> and sometimes you, you don't need to expand on it a whole bunch. We don't worship a God who goes back on his word. We do not follow a God who is wishy-washy, that goes with the winds of culture or the world around it. We don't worship a God that cannot be trusted. Our God is faithful. And he will always accomplish everything that he promises. This is nothing new. Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. How long? To the thousand generation. That's a long, long time. How can the church know and trust that God has enriched them in order to sustain and strengthen their faith to the end? How do they know that God is going to use these gifts to preserve our faith? Because he's a faithful God and he says he's going to. He's a trustworthy God. He never fails those whom he has called into the fellowship of Christ. Those whom he has called his own. We may walk away from God or we may disobey God. We may go back on our promises to God. Well, God, if you just get me through this, if you just do this for me, then I'll make sure that I go to church on a regular basis or I'll, I'll finally start serving in this ministry or whatever it may be. And then we get what we want and a lot of times what happens? We forget. Because it's inconvenient, or eh, it's just not time, or eh, I don't really like this or that, and eh, we're kind of wishy-washy. No, God says, I'm going to preserve you as my people to the end. And we don't go, man, is he like us? Well, we may or may not do it. No, he is faithful, and he will always do what he says. And so he will he will hold us and make us faithful till the end. 
And so there's four truths that we who, de- who are declared by God to be His church, we need to remember these things. First, God shows His mercy and grace to the church. Because of our sinful rebellion against God, every one of us were condemned to an eternity in hell. Away from His mercy, away from His grace, away from His love. But by His grace, by His mercy, He has saved us from eternal death. And He's given us eternal life. We are His because He has made us His. And so that truth should affect how we view and how we understand how we live and, how we are, and what we are to believe. So, God showed his mercy and grace to his church. Second, God enriches the church through spiritual gifts. If you're part of Elm Creek Community Church, if this is your home church, and you are a believer then you have been brought here for a reason. God has given each of us gifts to enrich and edify the church, the local body of believers. There are some who teach and others who encourage. Some have the gift of caring and helps while others administrate well. Some of us work well in finances. Others are prayer warriors. See, no one has every gift in abundance. We should all handle our finances well, but there are some people you should just never trust with the church finances. It's just the way it is because they're not strong in that, but man, that individual, you you may not trust them with the church finances, but when you need prayer, they will get on their knees with you and they will weep with you. We all have different gifts And as a whole body of believers, as a family of God, he provides the needed gifts in abundance so that we are not lacking in any gifts. There is not one of you here this morning that is here by accident. I've had conversations with many of you, especially some of the older generation, because our culture, let's just face it, our culture looks down on the older generation, do they not? They see you as, eh, well, pff, you've had your time. Let me have mine. Don't even notice you. But as a church, you know what we hold to? Whether you are five years old or whether you are 95 years old, God has brought you for a reason and he has made you with certain gifts, given you spiritual gifts if you are a believer, to help us to grow and be healthy in the Lord. There are things that you have been gifted with that I have not. And you are important. You are important to our health. We are glad that you're here, no matter who you are, and we want you to use your gifts because God has given you gifts. And so here's the natural question. Do you know your gifting? Are you using that gift then to edify the church, the local congregation? See, God has brought you to here to use those gifts so that he, through you, we might be more strengthened and our faith might sustain, be sustained in him until the second, of, second coming of Christ. 
God has brought you to Elm Creek to use the gifts that he has given you to strengthen and sustain our faith in him until he takes us home or he comes and gets us. And so if you're not using your spiritual gift, if you don't know what your spiritual gift may be, let's go out for lunch or coffee. Let's have a conversation about that. Because you being here is important. God has brought you here for a reason. Which ties into the third truth. God has shown his grace to us. God enriches the church through spiritual gifts. And that God sustains, this is the third one, that God sustains the church to be guiltless on the day of Christ's return. He's enriched the church, specifically in spiritual gifts, so that our faith in him would be preserved. But we need to make sure that we learn from the Corinthians and we resist the desire to become puffed up. It's good for us to remember that though God has called you and I to Elm Creek to use our gifts, he does not need us in order for him to sustain the church's faithfulness to him. He's not saying, well, it, it, boy, I've I got to make sure that Mark stays here because if Mark, if Mark leaves, what am I going to do? The church suddenly is going to become unfaithful and they're all going to suddenly go to hell. Nah. No, God does not need us here. He calls us here. He calls us here. He does not need us in any way in order to fulfill his will and especially for the church to sustain their faithfulness to the end. We do not sustain the faithfulness of the church. He sustains us. He strengthens the church through us. But it's always good to remember that those whom he has brought, he can also remove. I think I've said this before a long time ago. He's the only one in the world that says, I brought you into the world and I could take you out. I brought you to this church. I could take you out just as quickly. It is a temptation speaking from experience and speaking from a lot of conversations I've had, is a temptation by pastors within the church in America where they begin to think that they're all that. It's all about us. You know, if, if, if I'm not speaking eloquently or, man, you know, if, if, if I leave this church, that church is going to die because they need me. And I constantly try to remind myself, and sometimes God has to slap me on the back of the head in a lot of different ways he's done that, bring me back down to earth and say, this is not my church. This is God's church. And the faithfulness of this church is not dependent wholly on me. Because if I am unfaithful, God can very quickly remove me and then bring a faithful pastor here. God has made me your pastor eight and a half years ago, and I am so happy that he did. But I also understand that he could remove me at any point, and that this is not about me, and this is not about you. This is about him. 
All of this points then to the final truth that God is faithful to his church. Through his apostle Paul, he has promised that by his grace, he will enrich and sustain his church to remain faithful to him, his desires and his passions until the day of Christ's return. He has promised and so he will fulfill. He tells the church in in Philippi, he says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is true that there's a battle raging within each of us, even within the church here at Elm Creek. Two desires are fighting for supremacy in our heart and our mind, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the spirit. And let's be honest, there are days when we give in to our fleshly desires and we ignore the spirit who lives within us, but praise be to God that through Christ, the grace of God has been given to us. He's enriching us as his people so that we might be strengthened in the fight for faithfulness to him and to his truth, to the truth of his word. He says, I will not leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to walk away from you. You are my child and I will strengthen and enrich you and encourage you. And I will correct you severely if needed. So that when I come back, my son comes back, you will be guiltless before him. I am going to do that. If we belong to God, he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on that final day. He will finish the job of sanctification that he began when he first saved us. And we will be held guiltless and blameless when we stand before him on that final day. Man, this just brings a whole weight off of my shoulders. Our job, if you want to use it this, as describe it this way, our job as a church is to stay faithful to God. And everything he has done for us and everything he has done in us and to us and the gifts that he has given us is so that we might live in faithfulness to him. And when we're not, that brother or sister in Christ walks up to you and says, I love you. Knock it off. (laughs) Stop it. How can I help you in this? How can I encourage this? And you do the same same thing. How can you encourage me in faithfulness to him? So that we might be sustained to the end. God has brought you here for a reason. It's It's not to sit in the corner and be by yourself, but to be in a family and use your gifts to do the will of God so that we as a church might remain faithful to him. May we never become puffed up. May we never become arrogant and thinking that God needs us or Elm Creek needs us, but instead to go, God has brought me here. So how can I be faithful to him? How can I encourage and edify this church, his church, for his glory so that they may remain faithful to him. Father, we pray that when discouragement 
takes hold of our hearts and our minds when doubts begin to creep in, when we lose that battle against our sinful desires, when we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, when we feel like your son is just taking too long to return and we wonder if our faith is going to hold, especially in our society, in our world right now, Father. We ask, please, that you would bring to mind these words of Paul that you inspired him to write for us as a church, not just Elm Creek, but the church throughout all of history. Remind us you are always faithful to accomplish what you promise. You have saved your people. You have made us yours, and you will preserve us to the end. And so we trust you, God, because you are a God who never fails. You never go back on your word. And if you say, Father, that we are yours from now until the end and you will never stop working on us, we believe you, God. So help us each and every moment of each and every day to live that truth out. Not for the glory of Elm Creek, not for the glory of me, but for your glory and for your greatness and for your honor and for your praise. Thank you for being faithful even when we are not. Thank you for being our God. We, we say this, we pray this, we lift you up in your precious and holy name. Amen.